Hey, hi everybody. Hi. My name is Richard. That's what my mother called me. Let's open our Bibles to Micah chapter 5. Micah. We were, uh, I was at this closing on Friday that Norman was referring to and the lawyer uh, said, uh, I don't even know how we got onto this subject, but we were talking about Old Testament things, and he said, "Yeah, we were going to name our we were going to we were going to name our son Micah, but then we decided not to." I said, "Why, Micah? And I thought, like, that's a great name. Micah was an awesome prophet, I think, anyways." So, Old Testament, a little bit of review here. Uh, can you say those numbers with me? Five twelve, five five twelve, and those are the sections, the five sections, the five major sections of the Old Testament. We have law, or the five books of Moses. We have the books of history, twelve, five books of poetry, five major prophets, and the twelve minor prophets. So we're looking at Micah, which is one of the minor prophets. Now, the major prophets, uh, you guys, without looking, without cheating. Uh, can, who's the first major prophet? And major doesn't mean that they're more important. It just means what? They're longer, that's all. So the first one is Isaiah, right. Or as they say in England, Isaiah. Okay, what's, who's next? Jeremiah, right. So Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Then who's, who comes after Jeremiah. The Lamentations of Jeremiah, right. And then, and then who do we have? Ezekiel. And then the last one? Daniel. So these are the five major prophets, the longer books. Daniel's a little bit shorter than the others, and, and the rest of them are, are pretty long and, and go into a lot of detail. So... Uh, again, we're just trying to make, I'm just trying to make you familiar with the Old Testament so it doesn't frighten you, doesn't keep you from reading it. And there are certain sections maybe that are more difficult than others, but you can always kind of skim through those. You know, when, when I see like a, you know, 500 names in a row, I don't sit and meditate on every single name. Maybe you do, but uh, <laughs> Unless my name was there, and then I'd meditate on that, but it's not. So my name is not a good uh, Hebrew name. So uh, you can skip through those things. You can skim through those things. Just don't stop. That's my point. Don't stop. Don't let, don't let the enemy keep you away from the book that God has given to us. The big picture, Second Chronicles, about the prophets. The Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to Him. That's the whole, the whole purpose, the whole point. That's what God wanted to do, to bring us human beings back to Himself. And though they testified against Him, they would not listen. Let us, let us not be those that wouldn't listen. In Micah 6, 8, that really the, the key verse, I believe, of this book, that He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to do the right thing, to love mercy? Think about the Beatitudes when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for what? They will obtain mercy. comes back to us. And to walk humbly with your God as we humble ourselves before Him. 
we're going to look at today. This is the big hope that we've been talking about uh, for all these weeks, but we're going to especially look at here the Savior from, from Bethlehem. But Micah chapter 1, the, there's this choice to listen. We all have a choice. We're going to listen or we're not going to listen. In Micah chapter 2, we saw the people saying, you know, tell us just what we want to hear. That's not a good idea either. Yeah, I'm going to listen if you tell me what I want to hear. That's, there's a little bit of a problem with that, right? Chapter 3, we saw uh, one of the things that Micah was speaking against was corruption in high places in the, in the political realm and also in the, in the religious or spiritual realm. The leaders were corrupt. They were doing things for money. They were doing things with, for the wrong reasons. And then in chapter 4, we talked about the, the future hope that God had a plan and, and uh, the incredible plan, uh, you know, and, and this, uh, the study of the last things and, and that God has a plan. The God of hope has a plan. He has a plan for Israel. He has a plan for Jerusalem, doesn't he? But he also has a plan for all those who would trust in him. And that includes you and me. Chapter 4, it looked past the rapture. It looked past the seven-year tribulation period. It looked to the 1,000-year period we call what? The millennium, right. When Christ would come and set foot upon the earth, when he would come to rule and to reign for 1,000 years, there'd be no more war. There would be no more fear, we see. Now, now chapter 5 today, where we pick it up today in the book of Micah, uh, he's looking ahead, but he's not looking that far ahead. You'll see what I mean when we get into it. Let's, let's look at Micah chapter 5, verse 1. He says, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us, and they will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. So he's talking here about a period of time. Again, it's not all the way to the time of the millennium. He's, he's actually going to a period which would be about 100 years from when he was writing. He was speaking to the people there and saying, listen, if you don't turn, this is what's going to happen. But as we studied, especially the first chapter, we see that the people did listen, and they had a good king. Can anybody remember what his name was? Someone said it. I can't hear, though. Hezekiah. He was a very good king, and he humbled himself. He did what Micah was saying that we need to do, and it, it postponed this judgment, this siege that we see here in chapter 5, verse 1. It postponed it for like 100 years. See, God, God responds to us as well when we humble ourselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up in due time, it says. So, Hezekiah, and he's like one of my favorite kings now. I've read through that recently, and he's just like, I love Jehoshaphat. He's a great guy, but Hezekiah is really awesome too. And then Josiah, there's a whole bunch of, good ones, but there's many, many more bad ones. There was a few, really, I should say, only a few really good ones, and then a whole bunch of really bad leaders in Israel. The last ruler that we find uh, is a guy named Zedekiah, and he was horrible. He was absolutely horrible, and he was humiliated. And we see what, what's talking about here. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. He was totally humiliated. As a matter of fact, it says that they killed his sons in front of him, in front of his eyes, 
And then they took out his eyes. It was horrible, horrible picture. And, and since that time, there has been no king. Okay, There's no king of Israel since that time, even to today. However, we must remember that Jesus came as the king of the Jews, right? What did they say? What, you know, they say that you're a king. He says, well, it is as you say. But, and they had up on, his, on, on the plaque on his cross, what did it say? Je- you know, Jesus the Christ, king of the Jews. And they said, don't say that. Don't, don't put that up there. What, what did Pilate say? What I have written, I have written. So we, so we see first in chapter 5 of verse 1, this looking ahead to the time when Jerusalem would be under siege. And it did happen about 100 years from this time. And Jerusalem was overrun and overtaken by who? By the Babylonians, right? The northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians. The Assyrians came and took them away. Jerusalem and Judah and and that region was spared, but but then the time did come when these prophecies were fulfilled. And the Babylonian uh, kingdom, they came in and they took the people, most of them. They left some in the land, but they took most of them to Babylon. Uh, Many of them were killed as well during this time. So, This is where we're at now in chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 2 now, we see a very different thing. And this is what we call hope. This is what we've been calling the big hope. And this is what we're talking about, this Savior of the world. Though it would get really, really bad, God had a plan. God had a plan. Let's read verse 2. What does it say there? But you... Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. What does that remind us of, O little town of Bethlehem? We're not going to sing it. It's kind of a strange song. It's a little hard to sing. It's got some good ideas and some good words, but it's kind of difficult to sing. I was going to ask Jim to do a solo, but... You know, he. You ready? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, little town of Bethlehem. You see, God had a plan. God had a plan for a savior. No king after Zedekiah, but, but, but God had a plan. He had a king, and his name was Jesus. And we see this prophecy here. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this hope that God had for the world in this tiny little town. He says, you are small. This small little town among the clans of Judah, among the places of Judah. This tiny little town. That's why they sing, O little town of Bethlehem. Because there's this tiny out-of-the-way place. It's about five or six miles away from Jerusalem. Now, would you have chosen Bethlehem? Now, we've all, we've all been kind of, you know, brainwashed, uh, whatever you want to call it, by Madison Avenue and then, you know, the people on the West Coast, or we call it the Left Coast and, and, and the Right Coast. And, and to, to, to be, you know, if you're going to do something, you need to, you know, make the biggest splash that you can. It's called marketing, right? It's, you've got to get this thing happening where people are going to catch it 
you know, now we have all the different kinds of media that can, you know, they can put together to make this big splash. Now, we're talking about the creator of the universe. Now, do you think he might understand marketing? God, the creator of the universe that created all this that we see and hear and, and, and we can see, you think that he could have done something just a little bit more than Bethlehem, this little place, the house of bread? Bethlehem, they, he could have you know, chosen Rome. It was only six miles away. Maybe, excuse me, Jerusalem, Rome's next. Jerusalem would have been a good place, right? Way more populated. Remember, there was a time when uh, the disciples said to Jesus, you know, like, if you want to do this right, like, go now, because it's real exciting and everything. Jesus said, you know, back off. My time is my time, and I'm going to do things the way that I have decided. Maybe they should have chosen Rome. God should have sent Jesus to be born in Rome, the, the city, you know, this giant, the, the Roman Empire was massive then. All roads lead to where? To Rome, you know, that'd be a good place to have Jesus born out of, out of all the places of the world. But God chose this tiny little place. God had a plan. See, God's plans aren't always our plans. Well, I should say God's plans are usually not our plans, right? When I think, God, you, you know, when I think about it and different things going on in my, in my life, I go, God, you really... Can you, like, do it this way? It'd be better, it would be much better for me, of course, if you, God, did it this way, my way. And what does he say? Where were you when I created the earth? Where were you, he says to Job, you know, when, when I did all these miraculous, incredible things. Now, just chill out and listen to me. I have found through the years that God's math is really the best math. He takes the small little things. No one was kind of alluding to it today where God took us to, you know, this little fellowship and, and, did, and did incredible things. Like, we should not be here, really. We should not be here. We should not still be here, but we are still here. There were people, I, I don't want to get into that. But God takes the small things to do big things. And that's just the way it is. You took the, you know, the, the, the boy, right, with the five loaves and the two fish. Did I get that right? Five and two. And he fed an incredible amount of people. He takes these small things. And, and, and it really makes me think about us that we need to, as Zechariah says, to not despise a day of small things. You know, he can take and he can do something in my life, though it seems like how could he ever possibly do anything in my life? I'm just a small little person. Well, you know, you and I, we need to be persistent. We need to be consistent. We need to keep plowing, keep going forward, running the race, like Paul said, fighting the good fight, holding on to our faith. We need to do what we need to do. But you know what? God can do something big with something small. He has a plan. He has a purpose with, with, in all things and in, in your life and in my life too. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is a, what we call a messianic prop, prophecy because it's speaking about the Messiah who would come. 
And again, we've been talking about prophecy. You know, there were some things written in the prophets that were for that day, specifically for that day. There were some for things uh, in the near future, and then there were some things for the very far future. And, and this he's speaking here. It's a messianic prophecy uh, written some 700 years, some 700 years before Christ came to Bethlehem. That's a long time, right? I think. And, and we see that, that he fulfilled prophecy and, and really there are some, uh, some 300 major prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus. And, and he's, there are some that are yet to be fulfilled. There are some that he has already filled, many, many that he has already fulfilled. But it's a big deal, you see. There's no, there's no one like it. There's no other religious uh, book or no other kinds of religious system that has uh, anything like the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus the Messiah. There's no, there's no comparison in any realm, any sphere, any kind of uh, system. One man said, the, the, speaking about this prophecy here, Micah 5.2, he said, one of the Old Testament's most significant and clear messianic predictions. We know, and Warren Wiersbe pointed it out too, that's this prophecy that led the wise men to Jesus, right? Through their, they, they knew what the prophecy said, and, and many of the Old Testament prophecies, they, they understood. There are some that the Jewish people were blinded to, mainly the prophecies about Jesus' suffering. They knew about the prophecies about him coming, and they were looking forward to the time when he would set up his kingdom, but not the prophecies of his suffering. The statistics. Now, the odds of winning the lottery, 1 in 259 million. Okay? The odds of a man fulfilling eight prophecies, one in all those zeros. That's what Jesus did. Now, I want to just give you an encouragement about the lottery. Uh, that number is very large. But if you will give to the church, your odds of it going towards Jesus' work are much greater. I just want to say that to you right now. So we're going to stop, and uh, Norman's going to take up an offering. And uh, I'm just kidding. But what I said is true. You know, we, and I'm, I'm not trying to encourage anybody to go try the lottery. I'm just telling you, the odds are better if you put your money in a place to help the kingdom of God, you're going to do a lot better. You're going to have a much better odds than that. Anyways, the, this whole idea is a huge, huge deal, this idea of messian, uh, uh, prophecies that Jesus being uh, fulfilling. The probability, and if you are into math, you know, the probability is the same thing as the odds, right? Uh, I have a few others here. The, the odds of being struck by lightning in a year, in one year, one in 700,000. Being killed by lightning in one year, one in two million. How about to become president? One in 10 million. And you've you got more chance of being struck and killed by lightning than to becoming president. Some of you young people, if that's what you feel like God wants you to do, don't give up. How about... Uh, 
the odds of a meteorite landing on your house. One in 180, let's see, million, billion, trillion. So I wouldn't worry too much about that one. But the odds that you're going to die, that's pretty good. Pretty good odds there. Pretty good odds. Now, the Bible, this, this book that we have is full of these prophecies. Uh, the Old Testament are full, is full of prophecies, events that have already been fulfilled, as I said, some that we will be fulfilled in the future. But there are different people that look at the probabilities of these things. And, and uh, there's one, one fellow, and I've talked about this before, but I want to repeat it again because it, it, it's, it's good stuff, that, that Jesus could have fulfilled even eight of the 300 major prophecies. The odds of that is the figure that we see here. 100, let's see, I, I read somewhere what, it, what, how it, what it's called. Um, 100 million billion. 100 million billion. The odds of, of uh, somebody accidentally, excuse me, fulfilling these prophecies. But the, the eight major prophecies, I'll just read them off to you. Christ, this one here, Christ born in Bethlehem. The prophecy about John the Baptist being the forerunner of this Jesus the Christ, Malachi, that Christ would enter Jerusalem uh, riding on a donkey in Zechariah chapter 9, that Christ would be betrayed by a friend, Psalm 41, that Christ would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that silver would be used to buy a potter's field, Zechariah chapter 11. That Jesus was innocent, and though he was innocent, he would keep silent when on his trial, Isaiah chapter 53, and that, that Christ would be crucified, Psalm 22. These are just eight of the major prophecies, many, many, many more. So looking at these prophecies, the, the chances of them happening, that, that they could be fulfilled, and, you know, it's just absolutely, as one person says, as astronomical. Astronomical. Again, one in 100 million billion. And the, uh, the illustration that they give of this is that if you took the state of Texas, now Texas is pretty big. I'm not sure how many Rhode Islands would fit into Texas. Maybe two. <laughs> or maybe 200. I don't know. But a lot. So the illustration is like this. They took the odds of it. And if, the, if you took the state of Texas, which I've driven through one time, and it, it, it took like two days to get driving through, you know, only eight hours a day or something. It took a long time, whatever it was. And if you uh, fill the state of Texas two feet with silver dollars, right? Can you picture that? The whole state of Texas completely covered with two feet which is about this height, of silver dollars, right? That's a lot of silver dollars. That's like 100 million billion, something like that. This is the analogy here. They better start making those coins now. So if you did that, and then you took somebody and you blindfolded him, one person, blindfolded that person, and the chances that they would walk through the state of Texas and pick up Previously, you marked one coin out of all those. 
And they would now be blindfolded, walking through all these coins. The, the chances that they would pick up that one marked coin is one in 100 million billion. That's a chance of, of Jesus or any man fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. Just eight. Eight. So that's astronomical, right? I wouldn't want to be that blindfolded person. That's, that's uh, incredible, but yet Jesus managed to do it. Jesus, of all people, fulfilled prophecy, these prophecies. The exciting thing is that, yes, he's fulfilled so many, but there are many that are yet to be fulfilled. And, and we can look at those, just like the, the Jews were looking at this prophecy, they, they were studying it, and you and I can look at the prophecies of, of, of things that are yet to come and say, wow, I wonder how that's going to, we don't know exactly how it's going to occur, but I wonder when and how that is going to happen, and, and keeping our eyes open. And that's looking at prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled, to keep a watch. So looking at this verse here, now Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it's an incredible prophecy, one of many, as I said. But what really is it all about is that he was a Savior, that Jesus came, that the Father sent him to Bethlehem to be our Savior. That's the hope that you and I have. We don't have any hope whatsoever apart from the Savior. We are lost. We're hurting. We're dead, the Bible tells us. So let's look at this verse again, and we'll, we're, we're going to break out a few things here in the next, this verse and the next couple of verses quickly of who he was, this one that would come. He says there in the middle of the verse, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one. Will come for who? For the Father, you see. That Jesus, he came on behalf of the Father. He, he said it. He says, I, I have not come down. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So he says that he came down from heaven. He came to the earth to, as it says here in Micah chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, to come for me, for the Father. That's what he said. He never, he never said, I'm here just to, to, on my own behalf. I said that, he said, the Father sent me. I'm here to to do what he wants me to do. He said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That, that's what he lived on, was doing what the Father wanted. That's the first thing. The second thing he says here is that one who will be a ruler over Israel, one would be a ruler over, over Israel. And we, again, we've talked already about him being the king. We've talked about him being a ruler in other places. But if you remember, uh, we won't turn to it now, but in Isaiah, who was a contemporary of Micah, he wrote this prophecy as well. And you'll, you'll know it once I start reading it. He said, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He says here in Micah 5.2 that he would be a ruler over Israel. The government, Isaiah said, would be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But he goes on to say this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. 
and he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. So he would come and he, he would and he is and he will be in the future the king over all, the ruler. Some of that has already been fulfilled, but yet there's part of that yet to be fulfilled as far as the king over Israel, wouldn't you say? We talked about that in chapter 4 when he would come and he would set up his kingdom on the earth. The next thing here, though, I think this is radical. This is probably, in my mind, the most radical part of this. He says, he says whose origins are from of old. From ancient times. And I think that the translation could be better than this, what we have here. It says, because the Hebrew literally means his goings out. And this word for ancient times translated uh, in other places uh, from days of eternity. It's in the margin here of this version as well. Some translate it from everlasting. The, the Hebrew word, the literal Hebrew word for this, I looked it up in my Strong's Concordance. From ancient times literally means from the vanishing point. From time out of mind. So it's way beyond what you and I uh, can, can even understand. It's that vanishing point that is just out there that, that we can't even imagine. That's where he came from. You see, we're asking the question, well, who is he and where did he come from? We saw Jesus himself said, I came down from heaven. He wasn't just a man. He didn't start his life there in Bethlehem. He, he came down from heaven. He was, he was fully pre-existent. He was fully God, fully man. He existed before the world was ever created. In fact, John chapter 1 tells us that he was the, the Son was the agent of creation. Through him, all things were made, right? Everything that has been made. That's a very important thing. And, and why I, I say that is because, because I believe that the number one error, the number one error of false religions, false cults, all kinds of weird and crazy things. The number one error is, is got to do with who Jesus is. If he's just a man, if he's just a prophet, if he's just a good teacher, well, most of them will agree that he was actually here. Well, yeah, there was a guy in history. He, was, he really came and all that. But he didn't, he didn't say that about himself. He says, before Abraham was born, what? I am which is a, a kind of a, a using the words that the Father used in Exodus about the I am that I am, the Yahweh. It's a form of this word for Yahweh. He said the one whose goings out are from of old, from the vanishing point, from everlasting, from eternity, he came down from heaven. That's why it could be said about him that he was Emmanuel, which means God with us. The deity, which means the divine nature of who Jesus is, that he is God the Son, this is absolutely crucial. Don't, don't let anybody ever start to tell you something different. And if they do, get into your Bible and find out what it says about him. Find out what he said about himself. C.S. Lewis talks about the, the, you know, the, the, the great questions, you know, well, you know, either, either he was a lunatic you know, he was just crazy saying some of the things he said about himself. You know, I, I'm the Messiah, I'm the King, I'm, I am God. 
He didn't always use that kind of language, but the things he said made it very clear that's what he was saying. He was either some kind of lunatic or he was just a deceiver. He was just lying so that he could get people to follow him. That's what we see in the world today, people who lie, and some of them on purpose to get people to follow him, or what? He is who he said he is. The Messiah, the King, fully God, fully man. Let's get back to uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 3. Look at a couple more things here. Micah chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. I believe it's, again, looking ahead to this time when uh, Jesus would be born. By the way, Isaiah also prophesied about the fact uh, of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 7 that a virgin would be with child. A virgin would be with child. Micah chapter 5 verse 4 says, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. There are obviously some things about this part of the prophecy that have yet to be fulfilled. Again, go back to chapter 4. We see when he sets up this millennial kingdom and he, and he stands upon the earth. But, but some of that, some of, some of the heart of this, he already began to fulfill when he came to the earth, right? What did he say? He says, I am the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd, the, the, the shepherd who gave his life. Not working, there it is. And he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says here, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. I think uh, one of the things that you and I need to recognize, and our own pride keeps us from recognizing it, is that we are just sheep. We want to be in charge of stuff. We want to be recognized as really something. But before we can have him as our shepherd, the good shepherd, we're going to need to recognize I'm just a sheep. And you know what? Have you been around sheep lately? They are not very smart, right? Right? You've got to tell them what to do. You know, you get the big fat sheep, that, that have a lot of wool on them, and they, if they fall onto their backs, they can't even turn over. Now, that's you. <laughs> and that's me. We get ourselves into positions we can't even get, our, we can't even get back on our feet again. We got to have a shepherd, but we got to recognize that we're just dumb. Stinky sheep. Some of you are saying, don't put me in that category. Well, that's where pride gets in the way when we say those kinds of things. I want him to stand and shepherd me. I want to be one of his flock where I, where I hear his voice and he knows me and I know him. All those other things he talked about in John chapter 10. 
That's what I want. That's my only hope. The next thing found here in, the, in, in chapter 5, verse 5, the very first part of verse 5, he says, and he will be their peace. That's beautiful. That's, just not, that's not just poetry, though. It's poetic, I think. But that's not just poetry. That's reality. That he would be my peace. That he would be your peace. You see, uh, Isaiah, or excuse me, Ephesians talks about it, and he says that we were separated from Christ, he, that we were without hope, without God in the world, but we have been brought near or close through the blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say this, that he himself is our peace. So Paul in the New Testament is confirming what Micah is prophesying here some 700 plus years later. Again, the fulfillment of what Jesus is for us. Warren Wiersbe, again, he said, the Jews rejected the Prince of Peace. There's been no peace in the world. He says, but when Christ returns to the earth, he will establish his kingdom of peace. He will do that. He will. But he goes on to say this, though. Meanwhile, men and women can have peace in their hearts by trusting Christ as Savior. I don't know about you, but I, I get pretty wound up sometimes without peace. Things that are just going on, you know, you, you, it seems to kind of come in waves, right? Does your, your life ever feel like a roller coaster, like, wow, like that? And you're up here, and you got, you're just doing great, and everything's good, and all of a sudden, and it doesn't take, take long, ask Jim, he'll tell you, it doesn't take long before you're down in that thing where the peace is like, where'd my peace go? And that's really always, 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 I say always, that's a call and a cry for us to trust in him. When we remind ourselves, where does our peace come from? It doesn't come from circumstances. It doesn't come from the people around us. It comes from him because he himself is our peace. So Jesus, the Savior, will wrap this up from Bethlehem. And the question for, for you and I today is, have we trusted him? To begin a life of being a follower of Jesus, this one who came to Bethlehem, for us now, 2,000 years ago. And for those of us that have trusted him, are we trusting him today? Is he himself my peace, my ruler, my shepherd, working in my life? Today is the question. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, we thank you for that prophecy that you gave to this man, Micah, that gave people hope. And then you sent your son to fulfill that prophecy some 700 years later to show us that you are a God who keeps your word. And you have yet things to be fulfilled that we look in awe and, and we keep a watch out and look to see what how and when you're going to fulfill these different things. But right here and right now, Lord, you are our peace. You are the one that is everything that we need. We sang about it. 
You are all I want. You are all I need. Father, I, I, I just pray that we would be encouraged because of how radical it is that you fulfilled these prophecies, Jesus. It's astronomical. It's beyond what any person could ever think or even imagine. But yet you did it, and so we can trust you. We can trust you with even the stuff like paying bills and mortgages and, and cars that break down and relationships that are in trouble and bodies that are broken and hurting, hearts that are broken. We can trust you because you are who, who you said you are. And you're a good shepherd and you're going to take care of us, Lord. We, we turn to you today, Lord, to be our shepherd to be our peace, to be our Lord. And Father, I also pray, because I know it's, it's your purpose to bring people back to you as we stead in, in the beginning here, and, and you want people to turn back to you no matter what, no matter how far they are. And so I want to give this opportunity now for you, whoever you are, wherever you are, to turn back to Jesus to turn to him and, and cry out to him and, and pray and say, Jesus, I, I'm far away. I'm, I'm lost. But I turn to you and I ask you to come into my life, to be my Savior, the Savior of my life. Be my Lord, be my God, as Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Lord, forgive all of my sins and I turn from them and I turn to you today here in April 2017. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?